Whitney, did you know that I don't even wear makeup? No, I didn't. I'm the complete opposite. I wear makeup all the time. (laughs) I can't be bothered except for mascara and a little tinted sunblock. But recently, BoxyCharm changed my mind. Well, it makes sense. The great thing about BoxyCharm is the fact that it's only $25 a month and you get five full-sized makeup and skincare products from top beauty brands. So the retail value of this is over $125 straight dollars to your door. And you know, we like to save a buck. We do. And how many times, at least for me, I mean, I'll go to some of the beauty stores and buy a bunch of random stuff and end up spending $500 and never use it. Okay. This is good because you do a little beauty quiz online first. And then based on your preferences that you express, they kind of curate a little box for you and you get a box every month and it's risk-free. And I don't know, I like it. It's like a little prezi to myself, right? Like every month I'm getting this stuff and I'm like, oh yes, like I need this pollution defense booster for my skin. Or like I need this Ola neon velvet liquid lipstick. I didn't know I needed it, but now I'm getting it every month and I'm loving it. I mean, your husband's going to be pretty like shocked when you come down with all this beautiful makeup ready to go. Ready to go. Also, not only does my husband like it, but this is kind of a cool thing. You can kind of connect with other beauty lovers. I mean, I'm not one of those people, but some people are very into makeup, you know, and they want to be in touch with other people who are too and talk about the products that they like and techniques that they're using. So that's kind of a cool thing is that they BoxyCharm creates this community that people can go to, which I like. Yeah, I love that too, because the exact things that you'll get in your BoxyCharm, the other beauty lovers are going to be using. So like you said, you can share tips and tricks instead of just randomly going on Instagram to see what one person is using and how to do it. This is actually right there. And for all of you charmers out there, you get exclusive offers when you purchase the products. And you can also refer friends and review the products. All kinds of great stuff. And I want you guys to know, head over to BoxyCharm.com. That's B-O-X-Y-C-H-R-M.com. And use the referral code Whitney or Wednesday at checkout. Yeah. And just sorry, I had to let Whitney talk because I was putting on my velvet liquid lipstick and you have no idea how sexy I look right now. I bet I do. You always look real fly. Mm, We're going to get it with our boxy charm. (laughs) Enjoy guys. All right. What is the one thing that I use every single day? Seriously, every single day. It's my daily choice CBD and CBD in general. Any form of CBD that I can get my hands on, I am obsessed with, but particularly my daily choice because they're all crafted in the US and they've been quality third party tested. So you know you're getting some really great things. What they have at my daily choice is they have tinctures, which I would use sublingually before bed, topicals if you need to if you have any sore muscles or anything like that, face mask obsessed with. I just got the bath bombs in the mail today. So I know exactly what I'll be doing later. And the gummies. If you do like something that's a little bit sweet right before bed, the gummies are the way to go. So when you go to My Daily Choice CBD, you get 60-day money-back guarantee. So head over to bit.ly slash MDCTSWL. That is, again, B-I-T dot L-Y slash M-D-C-T-S-W-L. Try it for 60-day risk-free money-back guaranteed on any products. On this episode of True Sex and Wild Love, 
we talk to Disha Filia about the secret lives of church ladies, and it's just as juicy as it sounds. Disha is a cultural critic, and her writings on race, parenting, gender, and culture have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, McSweeney's, The Rumpus, Brevity, all the cool places. We really get into it with Disha about what she learned growing up in the Black church, about how she approaches the craft of writing, about how she pushes back against shame when she writes about sex, and how you can hone your craft by telling yourself that your art matters and making time for it every day. Have a listen. Hey, Whitney. Hey. Um, how are things? Things are good. You know, things are good over here. Uh, it's a beautiful day in Austin. I'm going to go on the lake later. So I'm also working. I've been, I've been writing a bunch, actually. What? Um, not a book. <laughs> I love But that. I'm creating this course, and I feel like my mind is going to explode. Ooh, well— See, I was going to ask you a question, but I don't want to tax your mind because <laughs> when you're writing, when you're writing, you can only write. But I wanted to ask you, have you read anything good lately? Um, yes, as a matter of fact. And we're talking to her today. Thank goodness. Oh, good. Wait, we have Disha Filia here. We've we been do. reading. We've been reading The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which don't you love that title? I was about to say, what a title. If that doesn't grab you, I don't know what does, because I want to know all about what's going on. Yeah, like what? (laughs) Well, you know what? We just have to go to the source. Disha Filia is with us today. She has written this book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. It's getting all this love from the press, from readers everywhere. And she's here with us today, and she's going to talk to us about writing sex uh, relationships, church ladies. Maybe it'll help you with your writing, Whitney. Maybe it'll help me with mine. Perfect. Welcome, Disha. Disha, thank thank you you for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you both. All right. Whitney, let's get back to that title. (laughs) Yeah. The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. So dive into this for us, because I know so many people are really interested in what this is like. And I have a yeah. feeling we all have a different mindset or perspective on what this could be like, depending on what when you grew up, where you came from, the entire yeah. thing. So the title came to me before when I had maybe had two stories written. Um, it just you know, one day it was, it was just there. I, I wish I had paid more attention to how it came about. Um, but, um, I remember having the title and I wrote this whole introduction again on the strength of like two stories, um, before I even knew what the whole thing was going to be. Um, and then, you know, short story collections usually don't have introductions. So I ended up taking that whole thing out, but, um, but I was really intentional around this idea of being at odds with your desires and what the church teaches and specifically for, um, for Black women in, in the Black church, um, you know, we've got that 
additional layer of of the Madonna whore and all of those binaries that are constricting us um, because, you know, historically mm-hmm. there are these, um, you know, archetypes of Black women as hypersexual. Um, and so, you know, if, if women are sort of pressured to be good girls, then Black women have to be even better um, yeah. because there's that additional layer of, of marginalization and stereotyping. And so you, you've just got, we've got so many you know, structures and people and restrictions in our bedrooms um, to overcome. And so I have been curious from the time I was, you know, growing up in the church, um, like, what does it mean to be a woman? And what does it mean to be a good girl? And what do you do with those desires that seem to be so counter to things that were taught in church? Ooh, I love that you just are going right to two soft spots, religion and sexuality. And yes. you just, you just <laughs> really taking it there. <laughs> because, because you know what? If it doesn't upset people, why are we doing it, I guess, as writers <laughs> and thinkers, right? So can you talk to me a little bit about you know, um, who were, set the scenario for us a little bit, because you've said that you grew up in the Black church. Mm-hmm. And um can you set the scene for us about when your fascination, I mean, you have to be fascinated with church yeah. leaders to write a whole book about them and to make a book uh, this thoughtful and beautiful. You guys, it just flows. These short stories, you just fall into them and they flow and they sing. But in order to make that happen as a writer, I think you really have to love your topic. So yeah, tell us how you got hooked on church ladies. Sure. And who so, church ladies are. So there's two answers to that question. And 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 um the the easy answer is, you know, I grew up in church, as I mentioned, and you know, in and talk about binaries as a kid, you know, the world is so black and white. There were the women in the church and the women outside of the church. And so the women in the church, you know, I thought of them as like really good and holy and they were there and doing all the things that, you know, God and the preacher in the Bible says you're supposed to do. But then it was the women outside of the church who seemed to be having a lot of fun and and wearing like tight clothes and makeup and, you know, having sex (laughs) and all of these things. And so especially as, you know, I start to approach adolescence and you start thinking, well, I don't know how to reconcile this idea of, you know, chastity and purity and these things that were taught about sex or not taught about sex. How do I reconcile that with my own desires and urges and sort of, you know, here's what looks like fun and then here's what looks like the path to heaven. So it's like going to hell is fun. I don't know. You know, so you're trying to figure (laughs) all of that out. (laughs) Right. And then inside the church, even within, you know, the women that were there, like I would be really curious about them and wondered like, well, they're in church and they're, you know, praising God and singing in the choir and, and all of that. But do they masturbate? You know, do they like sex? Clearly they have sex because they have kids. Um, you know, what about the ones who aren't married? You're not supposed to have sex, you know, um, when you're not married. And so what do they do? Um, so I had all these questions yeah. and, and so I was really fascinated by those women. And so they stuck around in my head and my memories and my imagination. And so when I started writing fiction, they popped up. Um, but then I interrogated this a little bit more when I started writing that introduction to the book that never ended up in the book. And I was like, well, where, you know, aside from that, like what else was there that made me so interested? And Wednesday, you're going to laugh about this because this is a movie we saw together. 
the Richard Pryor movie, Which Way Is Up, has that oh, church lady, so Sister Sarah. And oh, I must have seen that movie Sarah. when I was six. And, you know, this is back when people let kids watch whatever. <laughs> I was probably right, taken to it. the movie theater. And that movie is not appropriate for a six-year-old, but I was in <laughs> awe. And so here's this Black woman who, you know, she's a church lady. She's actually a pastor's wife and she's very prim and she, you know, dresses respect, respectably. Um, but then she's having this affair at, to get back at her husband. And she, you know, and there was this there's scene where she's fighting with Richard Pryor and she's wearing this white nightgown and she's really dark skin. And like that made an impression. I'm like, look at her right. beautiful skin against that, you know, the white nightgown. Um, and so, you know, visually that would be my first real well. church lady crush, I guess. Uh, Sister Sarah, who, you know, commanded, you know, commandeered her sexuality, wielded it as a, a tool of revenge. And um, yeah, that was something for a six-year-old. And and Richard Pryor had really oh, deep gosh. things to say about the Black church and sexuality oh. in the Black church. I mean, Whitney, have you seen Which Way is Up? Because if not, I we haven't. We have to I'm definitely going together. to watch it now. We, we have to watch it together, the three of us. Okay. That sounds fun to me. <laughs> what oh I find really cool about your book is um, I actually just watched this movie the other day called Yes, God, Yes. And it's about this. <laughs> have y'all heard of it? I haven't. No. I think it's on Netflix or something Tell like that. Us. But it's about this young teenager who is growing up in a very religious household and goes to church camp but has all of these urges. Mm -hmm. um, and fantasies and doesn't really know how to, she wants to go to heaven exactly as you were saying, Disha wants to go to heaven. That's a pathway to heaven. But at mm -hmm. the same time, she has this big crush on one of the guys there and she starts going online and look and, and sexting and looking at pictures, all kinds of stuff. And so it's just, what I find really interesting about this in particular is that this is something that I feel like interests so many people, people are, who are in the church are obviously very interested in this because I would imagine these are very relatable stories. And then mm -hmm. people who are out of the church want to know the how, do, how does this work and what about religion and what's the thought process? It's just, I think this book is just going to touch so many lives. Yeah, and, and it has. And mm -hmm. even though, you know, I'm writing about Black women, I've heard from people of all backgrounds. You know, I've, I've heard from men, I've heard from white folks. Um, and and so it just goes to show that how much of a human experience is just universal. But you don't, you know, you, the, the, we're not writing to, um, you know, we can all write about what we know and find that it resonates with people. Even if you've never been in the church, like so much of, of the um, of patriarchy and white supremacy is all tied up in that, right? And so these mm -hmm. binaries, Madonna whore. So you don't have to have gone to, you know, you don't have to have been a church person to still live under the weight of that and still feel the oppression of it. Even if you've unlearned it, it was still something, you know, you had to unlearn. I so agree with what Whitney said, Whit, about this touching so many people's lives because these are some of the fundamentals, like that conflict mm -hmm. for women. Am I a Madonna mm -hmm. or a whore? Those deep feelings that a lot of people have and memories about church mm -hmm. and, you know, how deep that goes for people. I was thinking about the first short story in the collection, Disha, called Eula. 
mm-hmm. which you let me read a long quite a while ago. And I asked yes. you, I asked you, can I can I excerpt this in my book on true? And you very generously let me. But I'm you know, why did Eula have to be the first story? And for people who haven't read it yet, not to give away too much. But it's about two women who very much define themselves as part of the black church, but they're in love and in lust with each other. Why start with this story? And where did you get this great idea? (laughs) So it was, in some ways, it was like a practical choice because Eula was the first story um, in what would become the collection that ever got published. And then the response to it was just so strong. You know, your interest in it, another friend had interest and used it as part of their capstone project. Um, I had people searching for the story online and you can't find it online. It's It was only published in print. And even now, I think that Apogee Journal doesn't have that issue anymore. I think it sold out. Um, and so people would email me and say, I can't find this story anywhere. And and there are people who read about it in your book who found me and said, where can I read the rest of the story? Got so, you. you know, it was like, okay, so this is a, this one has a proven track record, right? Because at the time um, that the book uh, went to public, when I turned in my manuscript, only three of those stories had been published before. Um, so it had a good track record and it's one of the, you know, uh, stories that has the most explicit sex. And so I thought, oh, yeah. you know, if somebody's going to turn back, <laughs> you might as well turn back now. <laughs> so let's just put it right all up, up, up there. Um, and then, you know, I think about, um, you know, what we now call fluidity, right? Sexual fluidity. But, you know, there's so many things that we have names for now that we didn't, you know, those of us, our generation growing up. And, you know, you think about um, how we all know that people have you know, sexual urges, right? And so if you have decided that you're going to save yourself for marriage and you're waiting and you're getting to be 40 years old, I mean, you've got to do something, right? And, um, and so I, I, I thought about this for church ladies. And I also thought about, cause I did a little stint in the suburbs and I, I had this, this story oh. in my head about these women who were stay at home moms and, you know, the, how easily they could, you know, who were unfulfilled in their marriages and how easily they could have sex with each other during the day and nobody would know, right? They could have a whole double life. So I like this <sighs> idea of like double lives. And mm-hmm. so um, I thought about these two church ladies who, um, you know, took, to, you know, had these needs, these, you know, that the, this desire, the sexual desire, but, you know, they can't do these things with men um, because they're waiting. This was a popular thing and it's in the story, waiting for their Boaz, you know, and and if you read the story of Boaz, like I could never understand, like, why are they waiting for this guy? He didn't take any initiative, (laughs) but anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, So, you know, there's a, there was a whole movement in, in Christian circles around waiting for your Boaz, meaning you don't just wait for, you know, don't entertain all of these men. You've just got to wait. And it's like, God, how long are you people supposed to wait? Um, And so, you know, what are they doing while they're waiting, right? And so I'm imagining how easy would it be to, you know, hook up with somebody who nobody would suspect and you don't have to worry about it being some man. And technically, you're still kind of within the law. I mean, as they play with this question of virginity, you know, Um, but then still being good church ladies. Oh, it's not something we can do on a regular basis, right? So just New Year's Eve. (laughs) 
So for people who haven't read it, Whitney and I are lucky that we did. Eula and Caroletta are Sunday school teachers. And once a year, they get together in a hotel room and all the rules are off and they have awesome sex, but they're also really connected to each other. It's, Mm -hmm. did you find it as beautiful as I did, Whitney? I really just, that one blew me away. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to read all of the stories yet, but that is the one that I definitely I definitely remember. Um, I didn't get to the very end of that either. I I'm interested to know did shame or regret or anything come up for either one of them in this story? And for you for writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I'm, you know, I'm talking, complaining about binaries, but I can be really black and white too on some things. <laughs> and so around stuff like guilt and shame, I'm like all in or not. Like if I do something that I think I, sh- you know, maybe shouldn't or people wouldn't approve, I tell myself, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to feel any, any guilt about it. And I'm not going to be ashamed. And so <laughs> that's just how, you know, that's how I roll. <laughs> um, but for the characters, um, I, you know, they're, you know, they do grapple with that sense of shame. And one of them, I won't ruin it, is kind of saying to the others, but who told you to be ashamed about feeling this way and Mm. wanting this, you know? And so it gets it, not just, are you ashamed, but like, why would you be ashamed? Who taught you to be ashamed of your body and its urges and your desires? Mm. Um, And I'm, you know, we were talking about this, the two big issues, you know, faith, religion and sex. And I'm taking a class right now at the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. And their Wait, mission- the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. I just wanted yes. to say that. Yes. <laughs> what and is that? They, it's an organization that was founded by a pastor, um, Reverend Dr. Beverly Dale. And she um, has partnered with Dr. Lisette Cross, so a black past, black woman pastor, a white woman pastor, and they teach a leadership training course because they want their they want to put more inclusive, science friendly, sex positive Christianity into the world, and so they train therapists to know uh, how to work with clients who profess Christianity to help them overcome um, sexual dysfunction. Um, and promote sexual health and teaching how you can hold on to your faith without holding on to like beliefs that create harm. And then also training Mm -hmm. clergy in sex positive Christianity. And then as a nice favor to me, they let me take the class. So I'm in there with a bunch of of sexologists, sex therapists, and, and pastors. Um, learning sex positive Christianity. So in the class, they talk about the unholy trinity, which is shame, guilt, and fear. And yeah. And so I, you know, I, if I had to sum up my stories, it would be like, what, what are, what happens when, you know, women push past the unholy trinity and, give in to their desires or explore their desires or what, how does it hold women back when they don't, you know, what does that look like? And what does it mean generationally when they have, you know, when they are the daughter of a church lady or when they are the mother? Um, Yeah. So could you repeat again what the unholy Trinity is? Yeah. Shame, guilt, and, and um, fear. Got it. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that we all 
deal with mm-hmm. every single one of those. So it's it's interesting. That's the unholy trinity, but in so many religious teachings, we're almost taught to believe that. Right. Like we're just stuck. <laughs> like yeah, that's like it's like the holy trinity in a it's way. It's just like they're setting us up for failure. Mm-hmm. So setting us up for failure. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, Disha, in terms of the unholy trinity Mm -hmm. and writing, like Whitney's writing right now, I write. You said, Disha, that you're like all in or all out when you're Mm -hmm. writing about sex in terms of shame and and what you bring to the page. Um, Does the holy trinity... You know, do you have tips for women who want to write about sex but are coming up against this unholy trinity? Yeah. Um you usually if they're stuck on, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm afraid to write about sex, it's there's something larger going on. Um, for whatever reason, they don't feel like they have the freedom to write about whatever they want. They don't feel free to feel whatever they want. Like, so it's like, well, who is it? You know, who is that voice? And so I do this workshop on writing about sex and bodies and we call, I call it the radio station KLYZ lies radio. So (laughs) we talk about like, what's what's the what are those songs that are playing and who are the artists and often it's our mothers or somebody else telling Mm. us like you know a lot of us grew up here and keep your legs closed or that Mm. sex isn't something that's for us or that we have any kind of agency around it's something that we give away something that's taken from us something that is you know um done to us so those kinds of things can be hindrances um the idea that you know, I mean, we have to like get over it. Like, especially if you're a sexually active woman, especially if you've got kids, everybody knows you have had sex, but we still have this notion that it's not polite to talk about it, or at least it's not polite for women to talk about sex and God forbid, write about sex or write about it in any kind of indulgent way. There's still this like little titillation factor um, because, you know, we're still all Puritans. Um, And so there's a lot to overcome just to get to the point of saying, this is something that lots of people do (laughs) and lots of people enjoy. You're not revealing anything that, you know, (laughs) that's going to be shocking to anybody. And if anybody is shocked and scandalized by what you wrote, then they're not your audience. And so that's the other tricky thing is like, Mm. it's to understand that you don't, you know, no one owes you applause or agreement or approval. And so it it gets to like, well, then why are you writing this? Right. And so if you're really just writing it for yourself or you're writing it for other women and you want to, you know, have fun, you want to write these stories because you enjoy them and you want to write these stories because they're cathartic or they're freeing for you or someone else, then you do it. Um, But there's that overcoming all of the voices that are probably from childhood that are probably we know, you know, just societal that says that we shouldn't be doing this, that these are things that are supposed to happen behind closed doors. Um, And so I would say that, you know, if a woman is having trouble with that on the page, she's probably having trouble with it. There's there's deeper trouble going on there. Um, easy for me to say, my mother's dead. <laughs> like my mother's not gonna read any of this, you know. Um, but then, but uh, there's a moment where like my mother's friends, who are my Facebook friends, 
and my like one of my uncle's girlfriends like he's married to somebody else now but she's still my auntie and she's known me since I was five and she's like I got I can't wait to read your book I'm like oh my god oh you're gonna read about me writing about sex and they're all church ladies and so I'm like oh wow so okay (laughs) so what are they gonna be like Disha I can't believe you wrote da 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 and I could say you know this is what I wanted to write. And I'm really sorry if you're upset about it. That's it. But that's not my problem. Like, I don't, you know, I don't even have to apologize, but I'm going yeah, to. Yeah, I was going to say, no Southern. need to apologize. But like, I'm mm. Southern and they're my elders and it's like, I'm 12 years old again. So, you know, I'm going to give them that. <laughs> I would <laughs> love to be like, this. a. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall as they're reading the book. I know, <laughs> Just right? What comes out and what they're saying and their face, their expressions. I <laughs> and I gave no warnings. I've given no warnings at all. Oh. None. And so people are like, I, oh, my grandmother is, a, you know, her church group will probably want to read this. Sure. Great. Oh, great. Um, yeah. I haven't said a word. I'm not. And <laughs> so and my, my mother-in-love who um, I've been married twice. So my first, my co-parent, his mom. Um, she was, has told my daughter, she's like, I cannot put your mom's book down. She's like, they, I knew she was a good writer, but I love these stories so much. And she's, she's a, she goes to church. Her husband's a pastor. Um, but she also read, she's uh, loving it. Of so I knew okay. that like, she's probably like secretly, <laughs> you know, so that's the thing. Like we do, we, we're, we're so, we're fuller people than we often let on, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, And so I think there are going to be people who read this book secretly and don't say a word about it. But also I was talking to someone who was telling folks at her church about my book and just on the title alone. And um, they were like, well, you know, you have to be careful with stuff like that. (laughs) Stuff like that. Wow. (laughs) Because it might set you on fire. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you got to be careful. I and fly to hell. Having read it, I do feel like these stories can set people on fire, but in a good way. Like, sorry that I'm a little bit obsessed with Eula, but I love how it's a short story about two women who somehow cut a deal with themselves and they cut a deal with the version of God in order to get the sex and connection they want. And that's pretty brave of you. And I wonder, you said, you know, that you're finding a lot of interest from people you didn't know would be interested. And mm-hmm. um, has there been blowback about writing about queer church ladies? No, I don't think, I think two things. Either the the, the church folks haven't gotten to it yet, <laughs> haven't gotten around to it yet. Oh, or, there's time. Yeah, there's still time. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, or they're keeping their criticisms to themselves, which they probably should because it's none of my business. Um, I'm not going to defend the book. Um, and because people are free to kind of take it or leave it. Um, I have had pastors, um, friends of mine who are pastors be excited about the book. Um, and one asked me if I would specifically create discussion questions in the book club kit that I'm working on that would be useful for church groups. And so I did that. Um, so, Ooh. so far, you know, but my, you know, I, I my, my demographic is, is skewed. <laughs> so I've got my, you know, white guy pastor friend in Greenwich, Connecticut, who's like, 
bring it on. <laughs> and then my black woman friend who's, you know, very progressive and political and activist minded, who's like, I got to, you know, give me something so I can get more pastors to engage with this book. Um, so I'm very spoiled <laughs> in that sense that, you know, I don't tend to, um, you know, I'm not with folks who, um, feel the need to wag their fingers. Now I know that, I mean, I've got thousands of Facebook friends. I've also got some, you know, relatives and friends who I know are pretty conservative. Um, and I think they, and they still wish me well, they may not engage the book. They may not share my posts or anything like that, but they still wish me well. And, and I think that's great. I mean, I, I think it's great too. And I think people will be very, surprised by this book because there's such a beautiful um, matter of factness to it. You know, you're telling, you're telling these stories. Here's what somebody wrote about your book, Kirkus Reviews, which by the way, they're very picky. They don't like very many things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to read the description so that people get an overall sense of this book because I thought this review really got it. A collection of luminous stories populated by deeply moving and multifaceted characters. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. Tender, fierce, proudly black and beautiful. These stories will sneak inside you and take root. I felt like that reviewer really got it because these are so, they feel personal. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know the characters. Okay. I want you to tell those of us who did not grow up in the black church. Can you tell us, you know, what does the church lady, what is the church lady of your imagination and of your memories of your childhood? You talked about, you know, um, our favorite church lady in the Richard Pryor movie. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about the ones in your life now? What, you know, what about them drew you to them so much? Because I remember you telling me that you would look at them and wonder about your, their sex lives, but you talked mm-hmm. about like the beauty of the church ladies and their self-presentation. Mm-hmm. That always yes. stuck with me. Yeah. So I, in that um, introduction that never was, I had uh, <laughs> two um, archetypes that I created for the church ladies. Um, I called them the page of uh, the, um, sorry, the matrons and the peacocks. And, and again, this is sort of my kid's brain, um, where the matrons were the women who, women who were, um, like the pastor's wife and, and the women who were a little older and they dressed pretty conservatively, um, and, you know, makeup always on point. Um, and then there were the women who were single, who were younger, um, who just wore beautiful dresses and they were the ones that I just, you know, was trying to reconcile, like, I, um, you know, do they have sex? Like, you know, if they don't have husbands, like, do they sneak and do it? Do they masturbate? Um, and so, you know, but, but I saw them being completely, um, um, devoted and, um, you know, they were raising their hands during the, you know, worship and praise. They were singing, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I, you know, all of that was just very mysterious to me as a kid. Cause I was like, well, I want to be like them, I think, but I also want to have a good time. <laughs> so I didn't think that they were having a good time. And so that was kind of my child's brain. Um, as I've gotten older, I recognize that, you know, very few people live such black and white lives. Um, 
and that those women do have, you know, the conflicts that I imagined or later, you know, as I, you know, became an adult myself, understood that, you know, that you can present one way on Sundays or any day. And then, you know, your home life and your interior life is a lot more complicated. Um, And so that's what I wanted to try and explore in the stories is what those complications um, might be. Um, uh, But, you know, I I still remember my Sunday school teachers and like just, you know, the, the immaculate makeup and how um, we would go on Saturdays and we would visit the girls who hadn't been going to Sunday school. And our, our, our Sunday school teacher, it was like, I would, she had on jeans on Saturdays and I was just shocked because she had on jeans. Um, cause I always would see her on Sundays dressed for church. Um, and it, you know, and I was just also an, a very odd child too. So I would be like watching her in her jeans, but then I was like, but they're not really like super tight. Like my mom wore like really tight jeans and heels and like belly shirts and stuff like that. So, Out you know, there. I'm, I'm looking at the like, yeah, my mom. Oh, and Daisy Dukes. My mom would wear some Daisy Dukes. Oh, um, I love me a good pair of Daisy Dukes. Listen, as and now, okay, but when you're eight and your mom is dressed like that to go to the grocery <laughs> store, no. Are you just like, mom, why? All the time. So Daisy Dukes, heels, full makeup. And I would, and, you know, of course, you know, men stared and things like that. And that was the other thing too, is like, I got those messages around men, like you want men to pay attention to you, but I also learned very early on that men are dangerous. And so Mm -hmm. like, what's, what are you supposed to do? And then what if you like boys? Like then what, you know? Um, So, so yeah. So I would say those women were just their beauty, their style. um, They smelled good. All of that, you know, I was, I was enwrapped. I find this so fascinating because I didn't grow up in um, a religious household very much mm-hmm. at all. And so being able to just hear that side of life and how people choose to live their life is, is incredibly fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And um, the church and what being I, part of it. Yeah, yeah. And church being a part of it. And, and also the, as you said, going, going to church on Sundays and really being in it and really like showing up in that way. And then they would have their own complications throughout the week. It's just, it's hard for me to understand, at least from my side, how that works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd love to dive a little bit more into that if possible. And the, the other part of that question is, what are they now are churches allowed are they talking about this more are they talking about the complications and the things that you know religious teachings and or just humans deal with on a regular basis so there you know there's always been a range of churches right so the churches that i'm writing about are specifically you know, black evangelical churches in the South, you know, during, you know, particular times, right? So I, that was my lens. It was very, very small. Um, and then once I left the South, I learned about, you know, more progressive Christian churches or um, in evangelical churches, there is the um, the emergent church. And then, of course, outside of, um, you know, those, the, the tr- typical tr- traditional denominations, you've got Unitarian University universalist within Christianity, you've got liberation theology. I learned about that. Um, and so now there, you know, there's just a whole spectrum. Um, and then of course, you know, there's Catholicism. Um, and, and so there's just this 
really wide spectrum and you can find churches that are, you know, queer friendly. You can find churches that are led by queer pastors. Um, so there are lots Fun. more options now for people of faith who, um, you know, who don't want to um, operate under mar- white supremacy or under patriarchy and, mm-hmm. and that they're part of their faith is rejecting those notions of, of, of patriarchy. Um, this whole idea of sex positive Christianity, um, Dr. Um, or Reverend uh, Beverly Dale, like she started that Institute that I mentioned because she, you know, that's been her path and her journey towards a sex positive view of Christianity. And so, you know, she didn't want that to die with her. She wants to kind of spread that message. Um, she went to, uh, seminary, and you don't find a lot of seminaries that are teaching pastors sex positive Christianity. I so mean, even if they're thing. progressive, they're not really intentional around the sex stuff. And so, um, so it's there. You know, you're going to find it in specific con- congregations. You're going to find it with specific pastors. You just have to really be intentional about you know where you choose to 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 worship. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, so, you know, the world is, is a lot bigger than, than, you know, my Southern upbringing, but there's still people living and, and worshiping at churches like that, where the men, uh, I'm sorry, the women outnumber the men, but it's still men in leadership by and large. Um, you know, that's a holdover. Um, but we also know that church attendance is declining in the U.S. and it has been for some time. It's funny because we had um, Tiffany Dufu on the show, who is the daughter of a pastor. And she talked about how when she was, her whole life has been mentoring women into positions of leadership. And she grew up deep in the black church in Seattle with, you know, her, every, every part of her life was about the church because her dad was a pastor. And she told me and Whitney, um, about how when she was very young, she felt very privileged to be the pastor's daughter and she felt, you know, emboldened, um, entitled to have her voice heard. And one day in Sunday mm-hmm. school, she was, um, the Sunday school teacher said, um, who would like to um, lead us in this prayer? So little Tiffany raised her hand. And later she was told afterwards, you know, that the Sunday school teacher let her read the prayer, but then afterwards the Sunday school teacher said to her, Tiffany, boys are the leaders. Mm. Um, And she said that was such a strong message that she got all the time. You know, she talked about the patriarchy of the black church and how she felt at the intersection, you know, of, of different ideologies that were keeping her down, but her love for the black church too. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was really surprised also when Frenchie Davis, who I know you're working with on your mm-hmm. book rollout, when I interviewed Frenchie Davis for Untrue and she talked about how, you know, being um, a black sexologist and Michelle Hope told me and Whitney this too, that being black women sexologists, they go to the black church and they depend on the black church. And it's one of the first places they go to build relationships because they need they need credibility there to have credibility mm-hmm. with the community and i mm-hmm. was um having you know mostly not gone to church but i am from the very white midwest 
for the mm-hmm. Midwest that doesn't like to think of itself as anything but white. And um, so Episcopalian churches <laughs> and Catholic churches would not be open to women sexologists mm-hmm. coming in <laughs> and talking their talk. That would not happen. That's one of the surprises to me about how the black church is such a deep part of many black communities that people can come there to some of them um, for this kind of information. And how smart of you, you know, to build bridges there um, and book groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. I I really admire it. Yep. I mean, it's just finding, you know, it's like dating, like, you know, who's a good fit? And, you know, you can't worry about who's not a good fit, you know, um, because it's not going to be all Black churches that are, um, are open and receptive, but for the ones that are, I'm down, you know, I'm, I'm totally down. So it, that's exciting to hear um, that Frenchie has those connections. And, you know, she got me connected to the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. She's on the board there. Um, and so this whole world of sex positive Christianity, um, I just, I really want to see it flourish. I mean, Whitney, mm-hmm. as, a kid, as a kid, Whitney in Texas, would you ever have been like, I need some information about sex. Let me go to church. <laughs> oh God, no, that would have been the worst thing. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten any sort of information. I probably would just would have been booted out. Probably, yeah. 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 I mean, and here's the thing. So it's, you know, it's not, and the churches do give information. It's just not always the information that's good for our sexual health. And so overall, for example, teen pregnancy rates are declining, but the one place that they're not declining is the Bible belt. So, oh, wow. That's teach, really, <laughs> when you connect those abst- dots. Yeah. When you teach abstinence only, this is what happens. This is what happens. I want to get back to the thing that you said about keep your legs crossed. Oh, <laughs> keep your legs closed. <laughs> keep your legs closed. Is There's that nothing. What, what is it? It's like, what is it? Something. There are a couple of things. Keep your legs closed. Um, you know, you can't, you ha- can't be out after 11 or midnight, whatever time it is, because, you know, nothing good happens after that time. And then a twist on that is like, there's nothing open after 11 except legs. So you should be <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> that mine, mine, that. Tend, mine tend to be open before that, even. So I get sleepy, you know? Late start, Nine, right? 10, 30 rolls around. I'm getting tired. So you need to change that rule. <laughs> Those legs are flopping open at various times of the day. Various times. You never know, you know? Why limit myself? I kind of feel like when women write about sex or when we do our podcast about sex or when women write about sex in the black church like Disha is, I kind of feel like a lot of people wish we would just keep our legs closed. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how about that one congressman? Because, you know, they're so medically sound uh, that was like, you know, first of all, there was the thing about real rape, but then something about holding a pill between your knees. Like if you just keep hold the pill, then you can't get pregnant. Right. On a date. Right. Yeah. I think he said that actual rape, like, yeah, that there was, yeah, he had this category of actual rape. And then, well, just to your point, like so much of religion has been predicated on blaming women for acts of violence that happen to them. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Yeah. I cannot. Yes. And and the 
I don't know who the the congressman was who said that if you keep your knees closed, nothing. You gotta bad hold will a pill between you. your knees and just hold it there. Like you just gotta, yeah. That's what you do on a date to keep from. Yeah, going. that's gonna be real comfortable and cute. And effective. Yeah. We gotta wrap that. Effective. We gotta learn that guy's name and put but it in the show not, notes. And, I can oh, hold no. something between my knees and still give a blowjob. So he didn't really, you know. I don't know. These are He's not covering the bases. No, that is right? so true. I mean, that is not going to affect our blowjob abilities in any way. <laughs> We're super. Yeah. We're um, like, I mean, anal, anal. I feel right. like you could have anal with your, you know, bend over, knees He's together, right. pills still there. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, yeah, I took it there. Was a good time. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> and you guys, I just want to say that everything we're talking about, the women in Disha's book of short stories have been there. These women are going to knock you out. I mean, I love these characters. And I feel like we could yeah. have a really good conversation with them. Like they would be on this podcast having a really good time with us. Oh, it's totally wilding. Totally wilding. I'm thinking about the woman from the narrator and uh, instructions for married Christian husbands. Oh, hell. She would be fun. (laughs) She would be fun. You know who else would be fun? The woman in Not Daniel. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just got to tell you guys that she is like taking care of her um, failing parent who's in is it hospice care? Hospice. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, Whitney, of course in hospice care, this woman <laughs> being one of us is sees a man in mm-hmm. hospice care and is like, wow, he's really fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I would like to have sex with him in the car in the parking lot. Uh, yes, he is my friend. <laughs> Love her. Love her. Love the women like snatching pleasure out of the jaws of, you know, churchly life, tragedy, friendship. God bless. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. God bless. Hallelujah. Where, Disha, can people learn? Oh, I want to ask one more question before we go because sure. we have it for like a couple more minutes. Could you please tell us, Whitney's writing a lot. I write. Could you tell us about your daily writing process and if you have tips for those of us who struggle to get into a groove? So I, 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 big picture, the little strategies and stuff will vary from person to person, but big picture thing that I think we all have to do is be willing to say no to good things. It's so easy to say no to things that are just, we know we're going to waste our time or or that we don't really want to do, but it's the things that someone asks us to do or someone expects of us and we want to be a good friend or we want to be a good um, citizen or we want to be a good partner or good parent. Um, And we're sometimes we're just so happy to be asked um, that um, we just say yes and we fill our yeses up in our calendar up with time for mm-hmm. everything that everybody else wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, well, I'll write tonight after dinner or at bedtime or the weekend or after I drive the kids to all of these 3,000 places that well, they used to go for quarantine. Um, and so I think the most important thing is to first recognize that every time you say yes to someone else, you're saying no to your own project. So start, so mm-hmm. it's mindset. Start mm-hmm. thinking about 
every yes to someone else is a no to that book you want to write or that screenplay you want to write or whatever it is. So just so you know, if you're saying yes over here, you're saying no over here. So think of it as I need to say yes to myself first and then whatever time is left over, then other people will get that time. And I have to say for mothers, that includes your kids. They will not die. They are going to be perfectly fine. Um, you know, while you do this thing for yourself. And in fact, I can attest that you're a better parent when you do things for yourself and let your kids get whatever time is left over because otherwise you just end up being unfulfilled. And there's this quote from Carl Jung that's like something like the worst thing for a child is the unfulfilled desires of the mother or something like that. Um, And so then once you you know, get into the habit of saying no to good things and yes to yourself. The other rule that I follow is to never work harder on somebody else's project than my own. And so if I'm going to stay up late, if I'm going to work on weekends, it's not going to be for that thing that somebody else was like, can you help me with this? Can you collaborate? I mean, collaborations are great. Don't get me wrong. I collaborate with people. Mm. Um, but I don't spend more time on those collaborations than I do my own projects. And we are taught, uh, talk about guilt and the unholy um, trinity. We are taught as women that that's selfish, that if we do things for ourselves and we say no to other people, that we're being selfish. And that's just a lie from the pit of hell. Um, And so we just (laughs) end up being unfulfilled, resentful, and we get to, you know, the latter season of our life and we haven't lives and we haven't done a fraction of the things we wanted to do, but we did everything everybody else wanted us to do. Mm. And you don't get that time back. You just don't. And so, um, and I don't mean to make it sound easy. Like I still struggle with it, but not as much as I did before my mom died. My mom died at 52 of cancer with so, Mm. so many things that she couldn't, didn't get to do. And I didn't want that to be me. And so I'm like, do whatever I want to do. And people will deal. Like, that's the thing. People will figure out a way to do without you. (laughs) They really will. Um, But they never have to if you always tell them yes. Yeah, that's so true. The power of no. The power Mm -hmm. of no. Saying no is saying yes to what you truly want. Mm -hmm. I'm so so sorry about your mom. I know that runs deep. And um, I appreciate all the writing that you've done about that. And I also so appreciate you reframing if Whitney and I want to sit down and write, nothing selfish about it. Mm-mm. Just, nope. it's, it's just like a commitment. That, that voice that we were probably talking about, the K Lies Radio. There's some yeah. voice that tells us that writing is indulgence. Like there's no other profession <laughs> It's just so denigrated. Like, oh, you're a writer. Yeah, me too. You know, but like if you tell people that you want to invest time in your writing or no, I can't cook dinner this month because I'm writing, you know, it sounds, you know, it doesn't sound, doesn't land well. Um, But it's just as valid as any other endeavor, any other art. Art is valid. It's, and, and, you know, I did a workshop with stay at home moms and, every single one of them felt like I have to write and I have to get it published and I have to hit be on the New York Times bestseller list list to prove to my husband or my mother or my mother-in-law that what I'm doing is worthy. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that. You feel you want to do that because you want them to be happy with you. Um, But you can also tell them to fuck off and just write whatever you want and don't (laughs) worry about all that stuff. (laughs) 
Wow. There are so many things I'm going to take from this conversation and like put on a sampler or like just put on my, just have it be my mantra or a t-shirt. I agree. (laughs) Deisha, how and where can people find you on social media? In addition to buying the secret lives of church ladies, where they can get to know you better through your writing. Make it easy. I am Deisha Filiot everywhere. It's my website, DeishaFilliot.com. On Facebook, Twitter, and um, Instagram, I'm also Deisha Filiot. Awesome. Thank you so much, Deisha. Thanks for being here, oh, Deisha. And everybody, me. you're going to love this book. Thank you, mm-hmm. Deisha. You're welcome. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review. Yeah, leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.